We have a special treat. We have a guest speaker, uh, my good friend and brother in Christ, Nathan Davenport, uh, who is a recruiter for Pioneer Bible Translators. And I thought there is no better way to start off Missions Month than to have somebody who is on the ground floor, ground level, um, working uh, globally to uh, make sure that people have a Bible in every language uh, across the earth. And so, um, Nathan, will you come up here and will you please join me in welcoming my good friend and brother in Christ, Nathan Davenport. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let's go before God and ask that he would give us ears to hear. Lord, some of us have come in here today distracted. Um, some of us come in here with heavy hearts. Some of us come with joy. Some of us with uh, lightheartedness. Some of us uh, would rather be somewhere else. We, we bring that all right here, and we ask, would you direct our attention to you, just as we've been worshiping you through communion, through offering, through our voices, through our very presence? And we want to ask, would you speak, Lord? Your servants are listening. It's by the grace and hope of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and his word has the power to transform lives. Do you believe that? That Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and his word has the power to transform lives. But what about those situations that are hopeless? You ever been in a hopeless situation? You know, if we were to just circle up, don't worry, I'm not going to make you do that, and uh, tell each other our, our stories, my guess is that every single one of us could put down a name of a person that they're not really open to hearing about Jesus, and they don't even want to have the conversation about Jesus. But I have good news for you today. Jesus is the hope of that individual, too. Would you just do me a favor and take out either that card or something to punch into your phone? Think of someone right now that, that kind of fits that situation. They're, they're not exactly open to this, and they're not even open to a conversation. But I want to get you to hear it again. Jesus is the hope of Chuck. And the word of God has the power to transform Chuck's life. But, you know, if we continue with this conversation, we started thinking about our schools, started thinking about various employees that we come across. My guess is that, you know, that you would flash to some of the stories that you heard this last week, some of the things that you heard that they did on their weekend, and you wonder... How do I speak into that? The good news, once again, is Jesus Christ is the hope of Arlington Classic Academy. And his power can change every single one of those kids' lives if we will only let him. And we keep praying, we keep bringing it before him. That is the hope of the world. But what about on a global scale? You know, something that uh, was missed when Jesus first came to this world was his birth. All the greatest religious people of the world missed it. It was one of the biggest monuments, if not the biggest moment, in all of history. But you know what's happening right now? His word is crossing language barriers in unprecedented times that no one on the news is watching, no one on Fox News, no one on CNN is talking about it. Because there's somewhere around 7,100 languages in the world. 
And currently, only 720-something of those languages have a Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if you're an English speaker, you're one of those languages. But what's not getting talked about is more Bible translations happening in this century than all the other centuries combined. We think together with our partners that every single language group on the planet will have a Bible started by the year 2030-something. What that means is around somewhere around 2050 of Jesus tarries, we think every single language group in the world will have access to the Word of God and the language that moms are yelling at their kids in. That's what we're doing at Pioneer Bible Translators. And it's one of the most exciting things. And I, I'm going across the world, literally, uh, speaking this message to churches saying, Aslan is on the move. Are you ready? Are you ready for his second coming? Are you prepared to come face to face with the creator, the author of these words? And I say it again, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. His word has the power to transform lives. But I want to be frank with you. In a mission organization like ours, there's, there's days where it feels hopeless. Because when we start talking about translating the word of God, that means we have to go live amongst the people. And many times these languages have never been written down before. We create alphabets. We create writing systems. We go line by line, verse by verse. On top of that, many of the people are pretty literate. They've, they've never learned how to read. Sometimes they, they don't have clean water. They have incredible poverty. And we're trying to go with a holistic person. But sometimes these situations they feel beyond us, hopeless. Uh, last month I was in the Amazon of Brazil. And while I was there, I encountered a story of this people group called the Stupid People. And the stupid people, that's not what they call themselves, obviously. It's what their neighbors call them. And they're so scorned by their neighboring tribes and called the stupid ones, they were made slaves by all those other tribes. And I ask you today, Hillcrest Christian Church, what is their hope? Slavery. Or I could take you to Papua New Guinea, where my friend Dave was driving his Jeep along the waterside. And it began to overheat, and so we went to get some water for his radiator. And he sees these two shorter, dark-complected guys, and they're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, my Jeep overheated. They're like, no, nah. what are you doing here? And he said, I'm, I'm a Bible translator. Well, when they heard this, their eyes got really big. We, we don't have the Bible in our language. Will you come translate the Bible for us? Well, you ever have those moments where you're not really paying attention to what you say and what people hear? Well, he said, yeah, go into our home office and we'll see. Okay, so... If your kids or grandkids or the wiener neighbor kid comes over to you and says something, you say, we'll see, what do you mean? Hey, kid, leave me alone. Like, I, I got stuff to do. I'm, you're delaying it. Well, he was working on his radiator, and he said, yeah, we'll see what we could do. These guys heard if they hiked in from the jungle that we would translate the Bible for them. Now, Bible translation takes somewhere between 15 and 20 years just for a New Testament. And my friend had just promised in one swoop that we would come to their village so the director got in there and was like, hey, Dave, uh, a couple days ago, did you meet some guys from the Samagaria? Like, yeah. He's like, hey, they're, they're here right now. They uh, said you're going to translate the Bible for them. Uh, last time I looked at our logistic log, you were working with Mbore. Did you? And he's like, ah. It's like, Dave, we, we got to keep our promise here. We need you to go show up and study their language, do a survey. So Dave shows up, and at this point, when he walks into this village, this elderly gentleman comes up to him. And he says, are you here to translate the Bible for us? We heard someone was coming. 
And David's like, oh, no. <laughs> He's like, this time, you know, we already messed this up once. We've got to kind of clean it up. He says, we're here to study your language, and we're praying that Papa God will send someone. So they go, do, go about doing their language survey, and you're trying to determine the history of the world. Has anyone ever translated this language? Because, like, if you just look at, like, Mexico and Spain, there's, geographically there's no reason why they share Spanish. But you know the history. Yeah, the conquistadors came and all that mess, and they share Spanish. Well, many times we don't know what's on the other side of that mountain. Do they have a shared language, or is it completely different? This happens all the time. So we create a word list. It only takes a couple days. So Dave went about creating this word list. He starts packing up this stuff, and the old guy, he came out and he said, are you leaving so soon? I'm, I'm an old man. I've been waiting my entire life. And he said, well, hey, we, we promised that we would come, and we would start the work so that somebody could come. Right now, we don't have anyone to send you. And this elderly gentleman says, how about you stay one more day? And so he leads him to this uh, house on stilts, walks him up in there, and uh, leaves him. So our friends are like, what do we do now? And uh, several hours goes by, and this woman walks in, big bowl full of yams. Another person has a banana leaf of rice and a banana leaf of this. It's called sego. It looks like snot. They eat it like this. It, it drips. It's just starch. Boiled starch is a tummy filler. has no nutritional value whatsoever. And it was as much food as to me and this sister here. And they're like, how are we going to eat all this? And the old guy's like, aren't we a hospitable people? You come here, we will feed you like this every day. <laughs> you know, this house, yours. Done deal. We're going to kick Pablo out. It's going to be great. Pablo's like, what? No. <laughs> and so they're going about, you know, the guy's a better recruiter than I am. What this Dave is like, ah, oh, you know, cut to the heart. He's like, okay. I need to level with you. For someone to come here and translate the Bible, they would have to leave their friends and family. You know, Papua New Guinea, there's some 800 languages that are as distinct as English and French. People don't leave their friends and family in Papua New Guinea. That's why there's so many languages. And he says this, they start getting a concerned look on their face. It's on top of that, it's really expensive to fly from America. You'd have to empty your gardens year after year. And they're starting to catch it. He said, on top of that, whoever comes here, they would have to have an elementary-level education, a high school level, and university. Well, everybody in that room had less than a fourth-grade reading level. And they start seeing, and then one by one, they walked out. And my friend is looking through the window, and he sees the elderly gentleman and he's hearing, it's no longer speaking the trade language we understand. They're now speaking their mother tongue. And they're not sure what's going to happen. Are they going to spear them or are they going to leave them? And absolutely nothing happens. Nobody will talk to them. Nobody says goodbye. They pack up their stuff. They leave. Several weeks later, that elderly gentleman came to our home office, just like his uh, people of his village, and he says this, we had no idea what we were asking when we asked you to come here. We're an insignificant people in an insignificant land. We realize we do not deserve the Bible, and we are sorry we asked. We realize we do not deserve the Bible. We're sorry we asked. I come back. Is Jesus the hope of the world? Is his word worthy to go to every single language group on the world. 
If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 11. And is, you know, the reason why I started talking about somebody that you love who's resistant, thinking about a segment here in McKinney or some group that has a heart, and then talking about the Bibleist people, is what I found in my travels is that people that get global missions, they get local missions. I, I, I see that any church I go to. Uh, many churches won't allow a missionary to get up and speak in front of them. Do you know that? Um, they, just, they don't do it. But what I come back to and over, over again is those who understand God's heart and how it works in every single, because something has to be universal. It has to work in Papua New Guinea and Brazil and China and in McKinney. Otherwise, it's not a universal truth. It, it's only segmented truth. And as we're coming to 1 Samuel chapter 11, um, I want to give you a little bit of background. Today, we're going to be talking about how do you bring hope to a hopeless situation. And to give you a little bit of background, uh, what's taking place in 1 Samuel 11. And uh, what's taking place is this is right before, uh, excuse me, this is the time after the judges when Samuel is the last judge of Israel. And Saul has just been coronated king after hiding out in the luggage and reluctantly pulling him out and like, you're the next king. However, he doesn't assume the kind of responsibilities you would accept, expect a king to do at this time. He's still farming. He's still out plowing oxen. He's not really doing the thing that God has anointed him to do. And as we come in this, we, we have a somewhat obscure story that takes place. Can I read it for you? It says, Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And some of you guys are already, eyes are glazing over like, oh my gosh, you're, you just read that? That's, that's what we're talking about today. Well, let me give you a little bit of back. Maybe you already know this, but I didn't know it. Jabesh Gilead is one of those cities when the Hebrew would have heard this, they would have given the story like, oh, those guys. You see, Jabesh Gilead, if you, you know the backstory, the way the book of Judges ends, it's a horrific story about this tragedy that happens to this young girl. And it's, it's so vile and so awful, you look at it and you're like, how in the world is this in the Bible? And the beauty of the Bible is, it doesn't glaze over the tragedy and brokenness of our world. It's a mirror of what people are like and what people are capable of. And what happens in the end book of Judges is one of the most awful stories you'll ever read. And the man that's with this woman, he is so full of injustice that he comes out and he cuts that woman up and sends her throughout all of Israel to say, this happened. You all let it happen. And all of Israel comes together and they're just grieving that. How did this happen in Israel? But there's one village, one city, that doesn't show. Jabesh Galid. This, this terrible, horrific thing, the injustice, everybody is up in arms. It would be the equivalent of what happened on 9-11 in some cities saying, we're okay, we're good. Don't, don't bother us with that 9-11 stuff. That's who these guys are. And the people of Israel are so upset about it, they say these guys have forfeited their life right to live. And they killed everyone, men and women, of a certain age. The offspring of the ones who are left, the Jabesh Galib. And so this guy, Nahash, he's there on a purpose. He comes out, besieges it, surrounds the city, 
And the reason why he does is because he knows no one would ever help those guys. They didn't help us. No one's going to help them. And so he comes and he says, they say, let's make a treaty. He's like, sure, if I can gouge out everybody's right eye. So these guys, they know they're not strong enough to take on Nahash. Otherwise, they would destroy him. They don't want their eyes plucked out, so what do they do? They're hopeless. What, what would you do? You ever been in a hopeless situation where there is no win-win? There's no good decision? You know, as I thought about this story, I couldn't help think of the Bible. Our team was traveling through East Asia, and we came across this, this village, the Sun People. And they're underneath this tree, and they're sacrificing a, ch- a chicken, multiple chickens, to this demon in the tree, this dragon demon. And the reason why they do it is because they know that dragon, they know this dragon has the power to make sure they have good crops or bad crops. And so in order to appease it, they're so in fear of, don't lose the analogy, of this dragon, they are worshiping it and offering gifts. Satan is holding that people by the, and say, we're going to pluck your eyes out. I think of this other group in Southeast Asia. They have a million people who are mostly Buddhists, and we only have one missionary family. Imagine if you were the missionary for the entire city of Dallas. That's it. You and your wife. You and your spouse. You and your teammate. That's it. And the people there, they, they come and they, they wail. They make their fear of the, of the spirits, their fear of their ancestors. And it's as if Satan is sitting there holding, taunting them over and over again. We're going to pluck your eye out. And so what we've done at Pioneer Bible Translators, we've sent me to you and saying, brothers and sisters, there are people suffering right now around the world on our watch. Their lives are not okay. And I'm coming here asking you, would you help us? Help us bring the word because there's people thinking they do not deserve to have the word of God in their language. They don't think that they're worthy to have anybody come. And I'm coming just like this story. What happened is they plead with Nahash and they said, can we send out a messenger? And he's so arrogant that he he lets this messenger go out because he knows no one would help. And the thing is, I have been preaching this message over and over again. Not the one about Nahash and the Ammonites. Not the one about getting eyes plucked out. But the one about the Bibleist people what would your life look like if you'd never come across a single one of these words? You never heard John 3.16. You never heard Genesis 3.16. What would your marriage look like? What would your relationship be with those that are around you? And so they send these messengers out and pick up uh, 1 Samuel 11, verse 3. They said, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we'll surrender. Verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, King Saul, who's been anointed, they reported these terms to the people. They all wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, what is wrong with everyone? Why is everyone weeping? Then they repeated to him 
what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God came upon him powerfully, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, he cut them into pieces. Don't, don't lose the analogy, what happened in the end of Judges. This is him redeeming his people. He's a Benjaminite. The Benjaminites were the ones who made the mistake, who'd done the atrocity. Now he, we serve a God who redeems, who can take entire people groups and redeem them. So Saul is doing this, and he says, anyone who does this, I will do to their oxen as well. And at this, the people came together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jebesh-Galid, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, we will be rescued. And with this, the men of Jebesh, they were elated. Can you imagine? You, get, you get, literally get your life back. The next day, Saul separated his men in three divisions. And during the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. The first thing I just want to say as you bring about the hope to a hopeless situation. This is a hopeless situation. Uh, go to our first point here. It's not enough just to cry. You know, as we, we talk about um, these stories of people waiting, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Don't, don't mishear what I'm saying. I think it's a beautiful thing when we cry for those who are suffering. There, there's a strength in weeping. And these, these elders, are when they hear this, the men of Gebeah, when they hear this, they weep. That, that's not enough. You know, as you think about whoever that loved one was, uh, or think about the people group, or we think of those who have yet to hear, it, it's a beautiful thing to weep for them, but it's not enough. And Saul comes in and he's like, no, we, we have to do a bold move. And that's, that's what it takes. It takes someone to do a life-altering, bold move in order to see a changed life. You know, as I've been doing recruiting for 14 years, and I share these stories, and I talk about all the different ways people can get involved. And it never fails. I'll meet someone, they'll get excited about this work, and for whatever reason, they'll say, you know, I, I don't think I can do it. Uh, you're going to have to find someone else. And there's this assumption that someone else will take up their place something that God has called them to do. And they'll come back to me years later and say, remember that bookkeeping role that you had in West Africa? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's still a need. They're like, it's still a need? You didn't find anybody? Like, no. And in my heart, I don't say it. God called you. And you told him no. I'll, I'll never forget Lynn, gifted teacher. And... Uh, one of the things we need in the mission field is teachers to go teach children of missionaries because the place we go, there aren't schools. So we have fully funded missionaries who are on the mission field, who are there, they know the language, they know how to translate the Bible, but they have kids. They want their kids to have a good education. So part of their time, they have to homeschool. Well, that's 20 hours a week at least, maybe 30. And if I can find a teacher to go in and translate the Bible, they become Bible translators. Because at 20, 30 hours, the people who are good at Bible translation can do their work. And I had Miss Lynn, she said, 
I know this is what I've been made for. So I grew up on overseas. I've taught homeschooling. I've taught international schools. But there came a point when she said, uh, I'll never forget this. I've decided to go back to the familiar. And I just remember that phrase. And it wasn't, not everybody's supposed to be a missionary. Don't, don't hear that. But it was the, the fact that she wasn't called to something else. It was retreat language. And something that we see over and over again, if you put the next slide, is that I'm curious about what it takes in order to do this. I just want to ask you, are you faithfully walking into the mission God's given you? Many times when you know, a missionary comes here and talks about global, say, why would we go overseas and we got all these unreached people right around us? That's right. I, I'm a kingdom recruiter, first and foremost. Jesus never says, seek first pioneer Bible translators. He says, seek first the kingdom. And I always want people to do, follow Jesus wherever he sends you. He le- if he's led you to McKinney, that's great. Well, where are you producing fruit? Where are you bringing the kingdom of God? How are you walking faithfully in the assignment God's given you? Something he says over and over again, any truth that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. It's a hard truth we need to hear as a church and be fearful of wondering, looking at, as we look at our spiritual gardens, what fruit are we producing? Are we walking in the assignment Jesus has given us as a church? Are we being proactive and doing the thing? Because as you look at Saul's life, where was he at when this story took place? He was still behind the oxen. God had anointed the king to be the leader, to step into the thing that he had prepared him for. This is the guy God had chosen. And God has chosen you. And I ask, are you still out plowing behind your oxen? And not doing the thing God has called you to. To bring hope into a hopeless situation, it takes faith. Let's go to our next slide. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's the only way. Doing things that are faith. Stepping out and doing those things that are bold. We go to our second point. What will it take? It can't be all about what we want. If you look in the text, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And we must turn to the one who has the power to change things, God's Holy Spirit. This can't be something that originates within us. It has to be us listening and asking God, would you allow your Holy Spirit to come upon us? You know, um, earlier this spring, my wife and I were praying about our ministry. And we, we continue to circle back and say, Lord, is this what you have for us? You know, are we serving faithfully in the church as much as we are overseas? Are we doing the thing that you want? And the Lord often speaks to my wife uh, by showing her images. You know, just the Bible is full of images that God shows to people. And the image he gave her about our ministry was a kite. And you think about a kite, it could be a person striving Right? You ever seen? You ever had a kite? You just run and run and run. Well, unless there's wind, you're just gonna keep running. It, it takes the wind to take off. If we just, as a church or as individuals, as a recruiter with a Bible translation organization, if I'm just running my own effort, we're never gonna see the results that God wants. It has to be His Holy Spirit. 
And so as we come to each day, what does that mean? What does that look like to, to have this? It's to ask. And go on with the next slide, please. Ask the Father, allow his Holy Spirit to come upon us. And to see, Lord, would you bring that wind? Because um, as you may know, the Hebrew word for wind is ruah. It, it means spirit. It means breath. It means wind. It means God breathing into it, life, for it to take off. And sometimes, you know, you're wondering, okay, what, what does it mean to ask for God's Holy Spirit? Sometimes it's while you're praying, he'll give you a name of a person. And I, I thought I was going to tell you a story about when I was on a mission conference in Kansas City. You know, I was there trying to recruit missionaries, and God gave me the name of a, a lady named Kelly. And uh, I felt so strongly about my friend Kelly that I just texted her and said, hey, you're on my heart today, and I uh, just want to know if there's anything I could pray for. Well, she, she writes me back immediately and says, um, this, this timing is unreal. I, I was up late with my son last night. He's being bullied. And I feel overwhelmed and I have no idea what to do. It was just that simple act of obedience. The Holy Spirit nudging you. Contact Kelly. But this morning, um, there was a different person who came to mind. It was a friend of mine. We'll call her Alice. And uh, I knew her grandfather died. And so I just sent Alice a prayer. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where Alice is at with Jesus, but I just sent her, I, I'm praying for your peace, that he'll be with you. No idea how she responded. That's not my job. Our job is to plant seeds, to be faithful, and to do this. And this is what you see in verse 6. The Spirit of God came upon him powerfully. Something that's happened in this generation, I didn't know about until I was talking to my teenage daughters are you aware that our young people are getting back involved with spiritualism, the occult? That uh, they're into power rocks. And when I heard this, I, could, I couldn't believe it because when I was a kid, that's what old, weirdo old ladies did. That, you know, you go to concerts, they were selling these crystals that had power. And I'm like, no. And they're like, no, this is what all of our friends are, are getting these crystals. They're looking for power. You know why they're looking to rocks? Any idea? They're the COVID generation. They're, they're overwhelmed by what they see. They flip on the news. There's another shooting today. They feel powerless. The church hasn't shown them that there's any kind of power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom of God is not about words. It is about power. Are you praying for God's power to come and heal people physically that you believe that he's capable? Is your God big enough to do that? Is your God big enough to take people that are so lost and so broken and to put their lives back together? I believe he is. I tell people, all I can tell you is what I've seen and heard. He is a God that can do that. This generation is begging for it because they feel powerless in every single situation and they have no idea that God's real because they don't ever see us. Many times in the church, we have a, like a deistic view of God that, you know, he created the world and we can be good people. That's not Christianity. The power of the kingdom of God is one that's proclaiming that it makes a difference, that lives can be transformed, that God has the power to do significant change. They're begging for it. If we don't provide it and show them that it's real, they'll go look at stupid rocks. Rocks. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. His word has the power.
power to transform lives. What else is it going to take, though, to see that hope come to hopeless situations? Look what happens. Saul, he comes, he makes a sacrifice. He cuts down his oxen. This is his livelihood. This is how he makes money. It represents his old life. And it's much in the same way, if you remember Elijah, when he's called, he's out plowing ox. The Bible repeats itself over and over. It's this idea, it's going to take a sacrifice. When a missionary with Pioneer Bible Translator says yes to go overseas, here, here's what it costs them. They're going to have to start training for two to four years here in the United States. They're going to have to go over and learn the language of wider use. So if they're going to French-speaking West Africa, they're going to have to go to France, learn French. Then they go to West Africa using their French to learn the minority language. While they're there, they're going to have to create an alphabet. They're going to miss July 4th. They're going to miss Christmas. They're going to miss all the holiday functions, the births of family members. Why do we do this? Because we believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and that his word transforms lives. And this is why it's such a beautiful thing that you brought a missionary here. It's because when we talk about this, it works, guys. I can take you to a village and show you the complete two differences. Here's village A, here's village B. You know what the difference in this village over here is? Jesus Christ and his word entered into that village. His word has power if you get into it, if you share it with your kids, if you digest it, if you pour into it. It changes things, but it takes a sacrifice, sacrifice of time, sacrifice of energy. It's going to take money. Do you know the number of missionaries that are waiting to go because they're waiting for the church to send them? Now, I'm a big believer. I love support raising, believe it or not, because you want to go preach to Muslims and you want to go preach to people of other faiths, how about you stand up in front of McKinney Christian Church and ask for money? If you're not willing to humble yourself there and speak to an audience that's at the worst will smile at you and walk out the door, how are you going to preach to Muslims that might throw rocks at you? It's the way God battle tests. It's the way God sends it. And it comes to my last point in finishing up. If you want to see hope come into a hopeless situation, it can't be something that's, I'll go ahead to into the, sorry, the fourth slide, the point three uh, to point four. So it's going to take multiple sacrifices at the last point, and now point four. It's not something that can be done in solidarity. You know, as you look at this text, it says, the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came together as one. What I see the beauty of the mission God's given us, he doesn't just send people off. He sends them with a church a praying church. And I, I love hearing how you get together on Wednesday nights. And sometimes people, when they, they think about the work that we're doing, you know, they're like, all I can do is just pray. Well, let me tell you a story about uh, the, the Wadaan people. As my, my friends were serving there, they, they worked in this village for multiple years. And as they were going about doing their translation work, there was a sense that they had, you know, we really need to invite their church to pray. And so they gave their church family 11 names. And they said, uh, would you just pray for these guys? And you know what? They, they went back to their village. They didn't change a single thing in their translation work. They didn't change anything in their gospel presentations. They said within eight months, nine out of those 11 guys came to know Jesus. 
He said, we came to see it was our prayer partners who were on the front lines, and we just picked up the fruit. God does things when we pray the things that he wants, one of the transformed lives. But, you know, um, when I first heard about this work, I was driving a van for Lincoln Christian University, and I was sitting in the, the audience, and they told a story about these unreached people. And when I heard it, I was like, somebody needs to go to those people. Not me, I'm the van driver. Sitting three chairs down was my future wife. First time I ever met her was in a worship service like this one. She said, I need to go to those people. That Samagaria people that I told you about, they said, we realize we don't deserve the Bible. That's the village she went to. The family that she worked with, they're the ones who's bringing the translated word. Never underestimate the power of prayer or the power of God's church when we allow God to use us in his hand. I want to close with this last story. 1987, there was a lady named Pat Snyder who heard the story of unreached people, and she's you know, kind of looking like, I'm just a, a grandma. What, what can I do? But the story of people that are starving physically and spiritually hit her so hard, she's like, i got to do something. And she just took a look at around her, her church. He said, you know, uh, they're pretty good at sewing. And uh, he's pretty good at woodworking. And, my gosh, she's a great baker back there. And she came up with this thing called the Harvest of Talents. Third Saturday in October of every year, people bring their fruits. And they have an auction. They have a bake sale. They have a 5K run. The one thing that she says is everybody has to come. It has to be something that you made or something you used your gifts. And she started looking at the kids like, why, why couldn't the kids get involved? Why couldn't they start baking? Why couldn't they start doing things? I wrote Pat last week just to see, you know, how, how long you've been doing this? What's the story? She told me they have raised over $2.5 million in missions through bake sales, 5K runs, and quilting. The church is a beautiful thing in God's hand. And I close out with this. I believe Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. His word has the power to transform lives, if you'll let him. Maybe you don't know this story about Jesus who transformed lives, and you want to hear more. I want to offer an invitation to every single one for some of the young people that you're thinking about. I want to be a missionary someday. I have had many people tell me they became a missionary when they were in fifth grade. They made that decision, and the church sent them. Some folks are like, you know, I just do IT, or I'm just a baker. I'm just, if you're curious how you could use your gifts, ask us. That's one of my favorite things to talk about, how we could use your skill set. One of the hardest things we have in Dallas is to find somebody who will come and do child care when our missionaries come. One afternoon, just being on call, you can say yes or no when we call you. We have a group here in the North Dallas they're uh, a people group that we're trying to teach how to read. If you speak English, you have two hours a week. You could help an entire people group that's gone through incredible trauma and build up a friendship. It's a beautiful thing to be used by God. So, Father, we come. We got to hear your Bible, 
hear your word today because someone translated it to English. If it hadn't been for earlier missionaries, Lord, we would have never heard. And so we come. We ask you, would you take hold of our lives? Take over our pocketbook. Take over our memories. Take over our energies. We give them to you, Jesus, to be used by you. It's your grace we pray.